Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding. It's been two weeks. Today is going to be all about conversion rate optimization. I spoke to uh, a few of our customers over the last couple of weeks of the year. And I know this is a big, big thing with Anthony as well. But the biggest topic that we are hearing as a need for this year is converting more existing users. So a big focus on conversion rate optimization. So I pulled one of my longtime e-com friends, Anthony, and who is an expert in this space to come on and join us. Anthony, before we get into the nuts and bolts of CRO, can you do a quick intro for everybody? Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, I'm Anthony, founder and CEO of eNavi. Uh, and I pretty much stumbled my way into e-commerce, went to school for music, quickly failed at that and then started printing tees for an apparel company and somehow got promoted to developer, to director of e-commerce, took that apparel company from 150K a year to 600K to over a million to, to 2 million. In that process, I beta tested Elevar uh, when, when it first came out. <laughs> 2019, uh, 2018, yep. I think. Yep, yeah. And so uh, in the middle of doing that, I really loved the challenge uh, of growing the brand and branched out, freelanced for a couple of years and started building a team around me. And so that's when eNavi was formed. Um, at the beginning, we dabbled in a lot of different things, uh, but quickly realized that what we do best is CRO and development. And so our bread, bread and butter is pairing uh, these two together in what we call the 90-day growth plan. Um, this allows us to uh, be more technical than most CRO agencies because we can offer that development um, and we can actually bring a test winner into the production environment and then on the other side, we can pair strategy and customer research with our technical team that solves complex problems um, with sound solutions. Yeah. Don't let Anthony undersell himself either. Again, we've we've known each other at least through the e-com uh, web 2018, 2019. Anthony's super active in the Shopify Plus Facebook group offering insights on CRO. Again, he, he glossed over a little bit, but when we first started working together, uh, Anthony and his team were super active in Facebook marketing and Google ads and email. So it's really that I, what I like about Anthony's perspective on CRO is he has that full full stack perspective because CRO to me is it's not just a we're going to we only know UX and UI. And we just know landing page. You really need to have that understanding of what type of traffic is coming in, where are they in the funnel, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's, I'm, I'm excited for Anthony to share some of his insights and frameworks with everyone. So speaking with that, before we get into what you saw work well in 2022, what we're looking ahead to this year, let's uh, let's get into your process. We were talking a little bit about it before we got started. Uh, what is your framework? So if a new brand onboards with you and your team, what's that framework look, look like? So if someone is either dabbled in testing, maybe a little bit of Google optimized testing or, or no experimentation at all, what's that process look like that you take them through? Yeah. Yeah. So I really love this question because you talk to any agency that does CRO or an expert that that does CRO, their approach is, is going to be different. They're going to have different ways that they do things. But the common thread and, and the winning experimentation programs are the process at their foundation is going to be research. And so that's, that's really at our foundation, what we do is research. And so a lot of our efforts are focused 
into research because without this research, you can waste a lot of time, money, and resources testing ideas. Um, you can, God forbid, just add something to your site and that ends up being an enormous you know, detriment to your conversion rate. Um, and so our testing process is broken up into the 90-day growth plan. That's really the overarching strategy and then the 5i method. So before the 90-day growth plan, we would say internally that our focus was, um, we had a scattered approach at times. Um, we would, uh, we couldn't go deep because we were scattered across a different, a bunch of different insights. Um, and it was hard to prioritize those insights. It was, it was hard to test hypotheses. We wasted a lot of time and effort as a result of this, though we were able to still provide impact for our clients. Uh, when we focused into the 90-day growth plan, which Sheldon, our head of growth, uh, worked to put together, um, that has really improved the impact that we're able to make for our clients. And so with this, the 90-day growth plan really is, we're aligning with the business objective that the, that the brand has for the year. And so we set a single strategic priority for that quarter. So let's say the brand's releasing a new product line, or they've got a bestseller that they really want to hone in on and sell more of. Um, or they've got a category that they want to perform better, that will be our strategic priority. And all of our research is focused into that. And so uh, then we set two to three KPIs for that, and, and our performance as a CRO partner is measured by that. We can control those KPIs since they're really focused into what we're researching. And, and at the end of that 90-day program, if we don't make an impact on those uh, KPIs, then we're not doing our job. And so with the 90-day growth plan, what's encompassed inside of it is the five eyes, which is our experimentation process. And so that first eye is initiation. Yeah, let me pause right there. There's just to do a recap, just to make sure I'm, I'm getting in, the listeners are getting it. So the old way, if someone you were to onboard a new brand, new customer, and their pain point was conversion rate optimization, you'd come in, onboard them, say, all right, great, we are going to focus on increasing your conversion rate and we're just gonna get started. And you might do some hot jar recordings, maybe some event tracking with GA and Elevar, uh, maybe some user surveys, and then just start testing and, and maybe take wins that you've had previously from other brands or just from industry insights and you start just testing and, and measuring measuring the results of those tests. So that was the old way. And what you're saying is a little, uh, actually, before we go to the new way, did I get that old way? Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that's accurate. We had a clear process, but it wasn't focused. So the problem was yeah. there's way too many insights that we were trying to further investigate. And we yeah. just couldn't go deep enough to really get to the, the core problems and what ultimately the solution would be to solve those. So the new way that that makes sense. New way, which sound, actually sounds very familiar to uh, Dan from Data Smith, an episode. I don't know if you listen to it, Anthony, but for anyone listening, you can go back to the episode where we we're talking about measuring new acquisitions. So again, from his perspective, he's looking at a customer is looking to grow revenue. He took the perspective of let's just segment out, look at new customers, and even now just the new customer report in Shopify, and that's the only thing we're going to look at. And I won't won't try to replay it uh, off the top of my head, but it sounds pretty similar. It's reminding me pretty similar to, to what we talked about with Dan, but just in a different CRO perspective. Where use the example of a new product line. So if you're onboarding a new brand, they're launching a new product line for Q1. So that's their top goal is to sell X units or whatever it might be. And then you focus that all of the things that I mentioned before could be the user research, the 
event tracking, data analysis, hot jar recording, surveys, et cetera, you focus it more around that specific initiative and that goal. Is that right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And when we can do that, you can be more focused and and gather more insights ultimately and just make make a bigger impact. And so that's really that first I there, initiation. So you're aligning with the business objective. You're, we're setting a strategic priority for the 90 days. And, and then the, the next I is infrastructure. That's where Elevar comes in, um, allows us to, to uh, set up tracking, make sure that we can trust the data so that we can actually test. We set up you know, heat maps, click maps, surveys, uh, an A-B testing platform. And then that allows us to get to a place where we can move to really what is the experimentation process, which is the third eye to the fifth eye insights yep. um, implementation. And so uh, with insights, this is the this is the meat. This is where we yep. are diving into research, really understanding the customer's thought process. Uh, and you know, any anyone that's tested across multiple brands will know that. You can look at best practices and try to plug them in, but they don't really exist. Like there's some things that are kind of no brainers, but for the most part, a best practice doesn't always work for every brand. And so that's why research is so huge. We have to understand the customer and their thought process um, to really make an impact. Uh, And so I have a really good example of some research we did last year for a brand. And uh, the problem that we found was 76% of users were arriving on their product pages. And so that was that was a metric that we had identified. And that, that's what we saw as the biggest opportunity to in, improve their conversion rate was to focus on the product page. In this case, we were focusing on a particular category that they had. Um, and uh, what we started with was, was some customer interviews. And so uh, we took customers uh, from this specific category that had bought mm-hmm. from the brand. We interviewed them. We interviewed about six of them. And then we took six from competitors and we interviewed them using respondent.io uh, and we asked yeah, them questions right. like I know yeah. I know I know those listening are are going to want to double tap on that how did you not to start to throw you off your your frame of mind or frame of thinking there but how did you get those customers from competitors can you just double tap on that yeah so there's uh, all different kinds of ways that you can do this there's reddit threads that you can use common tool would be respondent.io where you can find uh, users or customers that purchase from a particular category. In this case, we found customers that had purchased from a particular category, and that's how we were able to connect with them for interviews. Got it. Respond in iOS. Yeah, anybody that does customer interviews, like you can find on Google, you can research different ways. There's more expensive ways using a tool like Respondent.io, or, or there's ways like uh finding Reddit threads where you can just connect with them and you pay them like a gift card yep. instead of going through a platform. Okay. So going back to your, you're interviewing a half dozen customers from the current brand, from your customer, and then finding a half dozen from competitors or potentially multiple competitors. And then what's, what's after that? Yeah. And so some of the questions we asked them were, you know, why did you want this product? Or what's the use case there? Uh, where did you do your research? In this case, the product was over a thousand dollars, and so that we asked questions like, "How long did it take for you to make the purchase?" And those mm-hmm. that research and the length of purchase is really relevant to a product that is more expensive. Uh, we asked, you know, what were your concerns when buying it? You know, why did you choose the brand that you bought from? What did you like about the bike after you bought it? 
Uh, and so that was some of the questions that we asked. Uh, and, and what we ended up learning was uh, the reason that customers were purchasing really varied based off of location and, and use case and even range. Uh, and the messaging that was used by this brand was, was not aligned with the customer um, that was actually making the purchase. And so uh, we dove even further into research. And, and yep. I think it's valuable to have qualitative analysis push you even further into qualitative analysis because you just get more and more insights. And those can really shape a winning test. Uh, and so... In this case, we we had surveys. We set them up through Hotjar. We had a post-purchase survey and an on-site survey uh, for this category to help us know and understand um, the customers that purchased and, and then customers, users that didn't purchase. Having both of those thought process was really valuable for us because uh, it's really easy to get a customer's thought process, but getting the, the user that didn't make the purchase can be a little bit harder. Um, and so having both of those allowed us to get a cohesive, like, build of the customer's thought process. Yes. So I have two, two things from that. That's really insightful. Number one, I imagine some might hear 90 day plan, qualitative research, customer interviews, respondent IO, setting up more interviews, and then having more surveys, more research from that. I imagine as a time, time might be the one of the big concerns that someone might have. So how do you how do you compress that? How do you make that that whole process you went through as fast as possible? And, and how fast can you get through that? Not necessarily you personally, but as a if someone were to undertake that on their own. Right. Yeah. So I mean, customer interviews, setting those up and conducting those can be time consuming. Like in this case, I, I think it took close to 20 hours for us to do it. And um, so that might not be something that's easy for a, a brand to jump into, but surveys you know, it's really easy to set up Hotjar or any other tool and set up a post-purchase survey. Uh, and if you work with Elevar, you can set it up so there's a data point that feeds in there. So you're only targeting a specific product that was purchased or category. And so you're just firing that survey when you want it to fire. Uh, and, and that can be a really easy way to, to, get in that, to get responses right there with just a little bit of work up front, and then you can dive right into the, the platform and you can see the responses. A lot of times, you know, like with the hot jar, it'll, it'll break it up and you can see, you know, what users said based off of percentages, different charts, you can get that data right there and analyze it pretty quickly. And so that's an easy one that anybody could do uh, just needing the right tool. And it doesn't take nearly as much time as like a customer interview. And that's using hot jar attributes. Yeah, where you can yep, feed in it. Yep. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's in one of our pre-built, pre-built tags. Okay. So the other, other part I had, other question I had is just this, this research part. So if you could just package it up into, okay, if someone wanted to again, take what you just outlined and they wanted to go execute it because they had a particular, they wanted to know why people are buying this product or potentially not buying the product, what would be the three-step process or whatever the number of steps, how could they go through and execute that on, on their own? Yeah, so I would say the first thing would be those surveys. Okay. Having that on-site survey. So find a survey tool. Yeah. Having that on-site survey isn't as necessary as a post-purchase, but it's really valuable to understand the user that didn't make the purchase because sometimes it can vary drastically to the answers that you're getting from users that, that did make the purchase. Doing that, that would be the first thing. The second thing I would say is after you have that, it'll give you a little bit more of a framework to the customer's thought process 
uh, but then diving into reviews. And so if, if this is a product that you've sold a lot of, uh, you can dive into your own reviews and understand what are those, like in this case, the, the end result of this, the solution was reshaping the copy of the product description. So it's more focused on desired outcomes and less about features. Um, and so, you know, talking about the desired outcome as a result of this feature. Uh, and, and so we were able to look at reviews and find that, oh, customers used it for this, or this was something that they highlighted in their review as super positive. And so we were able to take that and use that to shape the copy. Um, and so that's a good one, doing it on your own. If you don't have a lot of reviews on your own product, you can look at a competitor's product, look at their reviews. Um, and, and that can tell you a little bit more about what users are looking for in terms of an outcome. It can tell you, you know, friction points, anxieties that they have too. Um, it can also tell you if you have a competitor, it can tell you ways that you can um, pitch your product that uh, are is often viewed as a negative for your competitor. Yeah. And you know, it's yeah. just another way to, to use reviews. How do you bulk analyze reviews? Have you started dabbling with chat GBT and just up- uploading it and saying, can you summarize this for me? I was dabbling a little bit with just podcast transcriptions. There is a word count limit, but uh, maybe I won't, I won't go take us off the deep end in chat GBT, but what are, what are ways if a brand has thousands of reviews, how can you automate the, the summaries of those? We haven't done that yet, but uh, I did see a the post chat GPT side. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. I mean, we actually just go through and, and manually do it. Okay, uh, but I did see a post with Chat GPT using uh, reviews, using it for review mining. Yeah, uh, and I have to, I have that post saved. I got to dive into it further because I think that's an absolute game changer because it can be quite yeah. manual going through reviews. Um, yeah, but uh, we like to just. Make sure to send me that link so I can put it in the okay, show notes. Definitely, definitely. What about wor- tag clouds? What we do is we'll just set up like a, um, a, a Notion database and just kind of tag as we go through each review what we're, what we're seeing okay. um, in terms yep. of like if it's a key anxiety point, what is that? And, and if it's a desired outcome, what is that? And then we just kind of like count it up as we go through each review and, and try to give ourselves percentages at the end so then we can see, okay, this was the highest value desired outcome, or this was yep. the biggest anxiety point. That's how we approach it right now. But um, there's other ways that you can do it that are that are less manual for sure. Yeah. Okay. Step one, get the survey tool up. So pre-purchase and post-purchase step. Step two is analyze reviews, both your reviews and competitor reviews. Step three is start to extract insights. So aggregate some of the analysis you're getting from survey or some of the data, uh, analyze the data you're getting from surveys and the reviews. And then what's the the next step? So I want to I want to try to circle it back. Maybe if you can use that example with the the one brand you referred to, where based on the customer interviews, you notice that they were buying for different reasons based on different locations or regions in the country, et cetera. I don't know if you can tie that at all into step four, but what is that? What's that next step? Yeah, yeah. So the next step is really taking that research that you've done through the surveys, through the review mining through, you know, if there's another layer that you added in there, uh, but really taking all that and, uh, and shaping that into a test ultimately. And so in this case, it was, it was a product description test. And like Mm -hmm. I said, we, we 
pushed more desired outcomes in the copy of of the product description. Uh, you know, less this product includes feature A, feature B, feature C, which so many product descriptions are just chalked up like that, and and that doesn't you know that doesn't typically perform well. Um, and so we change it to more like get this desired outcome as a result of this feature. Now that's not the exact copy, but that's kind of the idea. Really, really focusing on the end result and the benefit that the user gets, because um, we found that most of these users actually didn't have a great knowledge of the features. Like on a yeah. scale of one to ten for this particular category, in terms of knowledge, they would be like a three. And yeah. so we're talking about features; yeah. they just don't understand it. And so what they care about is the actual benefit how it's going to impact the way they're going to use it. And so we were able to take through the review mining, really those top like reasons, those use cases that users were utilizing this product for and shape that into the product copy. Um, and, and then we ran tests. We, we rewrote the copy, we ran tests. Um, and the first test was absolutely insane. The results we had, um, the kind that, you wouldn't share with other CRO experts because they'd be like, that's probably not true. We can't trust that. But this product was really poor performing. Like it just wasn't converting that well. And so the copy update was a low hanging fruit. And as a result, we ran uh, an A and a B and they were focused on two different use cases to see what would perform better. Both performed really well. A had a 220% increase um, in revenue. B had a 380% increase in revenue. And then um, that we ended up going with B, which had a 104% increase in conversion rate. Those are astronomical and, and completely unusual, but that, that was kind of the impact we were able to have because we, we got to the point where we understood who the customer was, why they buy, what their desired outcome was, and, and what's important to them. And we were able to speak to that right there in the product copy. Um, and as a result, users were more likely to engage with the rest of the page is there a driving from paid social to the product page that descriptions there and in, in the above the fold content? Um, and there's a lot of solid content below the fold, but 75% of users weren't scrolling down. And so they weren't getting to that, to the rest of the content. And so improving that and actually persuading them to dive deeper uh, had a massive impact uh, on this particular product. And then we carried it across to different categories with this brand and, and saw not nearly as impactful results, but still like 13% left on conversion rate, 30% left on revenue. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen tests. I've seen tests win that big. That's not, doesn't happen every day or every week, but it certainly can be done. So I, I, uh, that's awesome. I also, I want to underscore, I think the level of detail that you outlined that you went through with the research that takes time. And for those that may either dabble in CRO or want the the silver bullet or the quick wins. I think you can go back to your, one of the earlier points you made, which was you, it was, I think it might've been around benchmarks or best practices where you can't just look at a best practice, implement it and just assume it's going to work on your own site. I think those two insights together are really powerful because you can't take even some stuff that Elevar, we put out with a CRO related like experiments you could try or things that we're seeing perform well. Sometimes they can be shortcuts, but at the end of the day, the potentially the biggest wins you can get is g- spending the time, just spending the time doing that research, right. talking to customers, uh, doing that, the analysis of, okay, instead of just, we want to test everything, like all collection pages, we're going to test the same feature across all pages. And 
and try to segment out in GA or do these other other crazy things. If you can find that segment or that cohort of, okay, we're just going to focus on this funnel only, assuming it has the potential for a big lift if there's enough traffic or conversions going through there. Uh, I think that's really, really powerful. Great, great share. And then the other thing before I kick it back to you is, I'm not sure if you, if you mentioned this, if I may have blacked out if, if you did mention it, but your the copy insight, I blacked out because I was thinking about, I was trying to think of the brand that Matt from Faring, we were talking about months ago with a post-purchase survey where they the, that particular brand was using, I don't, I don't know, don't take this literally, but they were in their Facebook ads, they're using dirt bikes. And then they were doing a post-purchase survey. Why'd you buy it? What are you using it for? Oh, we're using it for ATVs. And they just changed all of their marketing, like all of their imagery, copy and everything on Facebook, instead of being dirt bikes to ATVs or four-wheelers, and all of a sudden performance exploded. So I think uh, you, you may have mentioned it, but that same research that you you went through and took and applied to CRO, you can also apply that to your other marketing channels. And to me, it's still marketing activity. It's still CRO related. It doesn't, it's all encompassing. So it's not research. If, if you're a brand thinking about or worried about spending all this time in research and doing this, what Anthony outlined, it, again, it's not just for A-B testing. It's for your whole marketing funnel. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It, it's, it's so easy for um, what what happens when you dive into this much research is at the end of it, you have this further understanding of customers that allows you to speak better to them on all of your different marketing channels, right? And and that's that's why we push research so hard. It's like we can make a massive impact on your user experience with with what we do on conversion rate optimization, but really it stretches far beyond just your website, like you said, um, and that, that's so key. And, and back to your first point, I think it's so easy and it's just such a common trend, like checklists and best practices, these shortcuts to try to make improvements uh, when when really it, a lot of it's just a lot of hard work diving in yeah. and, and <laughs> go deep and, and not just like you know, trying to do what a competitor is doing and that be the reason why you want to add something to your site. I saw an experiment recently. You, I'm, I think I even shared it on LinkedIn, but it was, uh, don't use a, a carousel on the homepage. It never performs. And you reference this study from 10 years ago. It's kind of like the site speed Amazon study or the blue bo- button or whatever, whatever those BS and like the, they're so old, outdated and specific, but it was actually this brand tested a static image versus multiple, like same thing. It was multiple variations of a carousel or rotating and both significantly outperformed the static. And uh, it, it was just another like, oh yeah, I, I know I used to quote that all the time and design workshops, UX workshops going through redesigns like, oh, can't use a carousel banner because this one study said <laughs> it only right. 90% of people, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it was like, it was one of those false data points that you would fall back on. It may make me feel like I'm smart because I'm using a, a piece of data. <laughs> but anyways. No, totally agree. It's it's so easy to, to get caught into that trap of, of best practices. And then you run a test and you eat your words. <laughs> but when, when we release our top 10 uh, experiments to run in 2023 checklist. Make sure to download it. <laughs> uh, all right, 20. Let's do let's do a quick run through on what you saw as big experimentation learning lessons. I won't even say wins because every every experiment or test you run, you're learning something. Uh, what were some of your biggest learning lessons last year? And then we'll get into uh, some things looking ahead to this year. 
Yeah. So that one that we mentioned with the copy testing uh, that we just talked about on the product page, that was our biggest winner. We were able to spread those results yeah. beyond just that particular product and category to other categories with this brand. Uh, and we found that in that process, adding a headline to the description even pushed it even further in terms of the, um, the impact we were able to see. Um, so that was a big one. Uh, another Another one was like scarcity elements. And this sounds so like gimmicky CRO, but. Um, only two left, only two right. left. And you have five minutes and 17 seconds left to buy. Right. Otherwise we're, you're, we're expiring your cart. Yeah, but they work. Like they actually, they actually work. Like, I think the, the, the goal here is though, to be authentic and, and not be, <laughs> don't, don't be spammy. Don't be a drop shipper. Like actually be authentic with the way that you approach it. And there is a variety of different scarcity elements that we use um, to, you know, we saw a self to seven to twelve percent uh, lift on conversion rate across a variety of different brands and categories that we. What was the tactic? What was the scarcity tactic? You don't have to name names, so we don't. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so there was like high risk of selling out. Uh, yeah. For, you know, seven left in like I think one is seven left in stock, or the amount that's actually left in stock. Uh, when yeah. we ran these tests, we ran them uh, as MVPs. So uh, the full functionality wasn't built out. Like we're big believers in running a test as an MVP before yeah. you go out and develop the functionality or actually design <laughs> it completely. Because we've seen brands waste tens of thousands of dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. on a test yeah. and it fails miserably. Uh, so translated, so, the MVP was not using live inventory, is using a fake inventory amount <laughs> to right. prove it out. And then the full full would be actually using live inventory. Exactly. I've done it to you. I've done it to you. I'm not, not, not calling you out, but. Right. But those listening can't see, we're, we're both laughing, smiling. So, Cause right. as he was explaining it, I could, I could see what you were, uh, you were trying to hide. But anyways, keep going. So the, yeah, a number left in stock. Yeah. So when you roll it out, actually be authentic. <laughs> like don't be fake. <laughs> don't be spammy. Um, but we, we found like with, with those um, different elements that, that, that those were impactful. Uh, another one that we did was uh, consumer trust blocks, which it sounds super simple again and like a best practice, but with this particular brand, their trust blocks were well below the fold on the product page. Um, and a lot of users were being driven to the product page, like most e-commerce brands. Um, and so they weren't seeing these. And uh, we found that when we moved these up to uh, on desktop, it was above the fold. On mobile, it was like really close to the add to cart button. Um, and when we moved those up, new users converted uh, 29% more. And so we have 29% lift there, 13% lift overall, um, and really a simple thing. But the reality was the new users didn't trust the brand. They weren't able to find that information. And so when it was pushed higher up the page, they're like, oh, there is free shipping. There is free returns. Um, and a lifetime warranty and, and that pushed them um, to convert. What about UGC? Are you seeing UGC perform? So the base, most ba basic example is the Instagram reel at the bottom of the page or whatever might, whatever might be similar to that. Are you, are you seeing that help performance at all or, or hinder performance? Yeah. So this last year, I'm trying to think if we ran any tests around UGC, uh, we, we've previously ran tests around UGC and with the particular category we're dealing with, it didn't really work that well. Um, and I think that was, that was mostly because of the product and the type of 
the type of uh, imagery that was oftentimes used with the UGC looked very produced and um, was most likely a turnoff for most users where, where we've seen with like apparel or other products where it's more, looks like it was uploaded from somebody's iPhone and like those can work really well in, in review sections where you've got, you know, actually review photos combined with, with the review. Uh, that's where we've seen UGC perform better is when it's more authentic, but I don't really have any, I wish I had a, a good test to talk about with that, but the one test we did run didn't perform that well. And it just really depends on your brand. You want it to be like authentic and, and actually something that the users that are looking to purchase will find relevant and, and helpful in their process. What's the most unique or craziest test that either you guys implemented or you saw implemented uh, somewhere else? So most unique or craziest test last year? Unique or crazy? So Didn't put this in our, uh, our outline, so I'm putting you on the spot here. Right, right, right. I mean, we ran a super complex test last year. I, I wouldn't say it was unique. Um, but it was, it was very complex. The We updated the desktop navigation, the mobile navigation, the header, and the search, which was all encompassed in that area for a brand, and ran that versus the original. And so from the testing standpoint, it was fairly complex to make sure that it fired all properly. and, and Complete overhaul of the navigation? So what correct. was the pre, what was the old version versus the variation? Was like so, one hamburger, like one one was a collapsed hamburger menu even on desktop, and one was exposed or expanded, or what was the difference? The real big difference was uh, search was was larger. Um, so there's actually a search bar on the desktop header. Um, there was a and, and like an Amazon like search bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then there was a search bar also in like the mobile. Uh, actually, I think on the mobile bar, uh, mobile header, there was a search bar. Um, and so that was the variant. The uh, the original just had an icon, um, and then the the navigation changes were mostly UI. There wasn't really any functionality changes, but it was really cleaning up the UI in a way mm -hmm. that you know we felt would be easier for the user to navigate. Yeah. Um, and then there was change to the search functionality, which this one was interesting. Um, so the brand pitched a competitor's like search as like this is kind of what we want to do. And so you're like, okay, let's 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 try it. Um, and it was including like help pages in the search. And <laughs> I was gonna say, was it autocomplete with like a bunch of text links and a bunch of pictures and images in the competitor version? No, it was a mix. So it was like you could get okay. product results and then help pages yeah. in it. Yeah. And that's what we did. And in the first test we ran, we actually saw like the test performed miserably, like really bad. Yeah. Uh, when we delve into data, we realized that the culprit was search. Yeah, more users were searching and and search, which be before it converted like four times that of a user that didn't search, which is above the average. My the average to me is like what I've seen in the past from all of our data sets has been like three x. So right. your site search should perform three times more than non site search. Anyways, keep going. So your pre pre search change it was four x. Yep. Yeah. And so then I don't remember what it was uh, when we ran that new search functionality, but we quickly realized that actually adding, adding, adding those knowledge base and help pages to the search had a negative impact. Um, mm -hmm. And 
And users that actually use search were converting substantially less than the original. And so when we removed that and we just kept kind of the search UI, uh, the, the test had a, uh, had a positive impact on the conversion rate. It was, it was one of those that wasn't significant. It wasn't statistically significant, um, but as a whole, both the brand and RT felt that it, it cleaned up the experiment or the experience um, and it was a good move in, in terms of the direction. And so we moved forward with it. Um, but there was an interesting thing there because the competitor, I don't know if they've ever tested it, but I don't know if, if help, pa- help pages or knowledge-based pages are best in your search. It, it could be really detrimental to your conversion rate. What's your decision process when an experiment is not statistically significant? And let's say there's not a huge difference between the control and prime and the primary variation or other variants. Do you typically just, yeah, what is your, do you have a default process for that? So, I mean, we like to dive into the data further if there's more that we can understand. As in segmenting, like segmenting device or traffic uh, origination. Yeah, like new user versus returning user, desktop versus mobile. Um, if there's further segmentation we can get on on users, depending on what the test is, we like to do that so that we can at least try to understand why maybe the variant didn't perform as well as we thought it would. Uh, and then depending on what we're able to to gather from that, sometimes we'll just scrap it and say, okay, this this is a mitigated risk. And, you know, it was insignificant. There's some cases where it's like, we feel like this is, though it didn't perform that well, uh, or though it didn't perform significantly better, it makes sense for us to just roll this out. It's it's yeah. kind of a just do it. Uh, yeah. There's some cases things will fall in there. And then in other cases, we'll move to actually just running a, a further iteration. If we are able to learn something from it and we have other ideas that relate to it, we'll run another test um, yeah. around that same insight and hypothesis. Yeah. All right, 2023, any, uh, any big swings, home run swings that you're anticipating or any big trends that you're seeing? You, you, you mentioned you, you're you big in this CXL and some other, what's some other content that you go to for inspiration. But yeah, I'm curious to see where your head's at for this year based on everything that you've learned from the 2022 changes post-COVID. Right. Yeah, I think uh, 2023 is going to be an interesting year. I think for a long time, brands were, have been playing on easy, you know, for like the last five years. Ecom has been pretty easy. And like the growth yeah, that they've been including for us too. Right. And that's all the peripheral businesses, all of us in, in e-com. Right. Exactly. And so last year was a step up and we're like getting to intermediate. And I really think this year we'll be moving to hard. Um, and, and, uh, and so like the same tactics won't work and, and brands will have to start thinking more strategically. One of the thing that, that we've noticed and we, we noticed especially more this year as, you know, there was really a, a variation in you know the results that brands were having um, in terms of revenue and growth. Um, some brands were doing really well. Some brands weren't doing that well. Some brands were a roller coaster. Um, and so it's during those times I've seen that it's like super easy for brands to be really tactical and and lack an overall strategy or like clear objective. And then they're swayed by like any new opportunity or issue or shiny new toy, whatever it may be. And uh, and so one of the things that I think is going to be huge for brands is, is making sure that they have a clear objective, like clear goal for the year. And when it comes to their quarters, they have clear priorities. 
and and really where they're focusing their efforts. Because uh, as we've seen in the 90-day growth plan, when you go deeper into something, you're going to pull out more value. And and uh, as brands grow, as they hit eight figures and nine figures, um, there's less of those like low-hanging fruit and big wins. And a lot of it has to be going deep into a particular area and and really having a, a clear clear objective and a focus um, that you're that you're aiming for. It's kind of like the traction, the traction or EOS model. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that. Oh yeah, no, we we love EOS. We we operate yeah. by EOS, and yeah, it's it's huge having having those those objectives and goals, those rocks, as EOS calls it. Yeah. So less impulse purchases, potentially more purchase decisions being based on. So as a consumer, being based on research and confidence and buying the outcome, not the feature like you outlined with that one example. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I see a lot of that. And I'm also, I won't go too deep in all of my 2023 stuff because I haven't, I haven't fully crystallized them all yet, but I do think there'll be a bigger play and this isn't necessarily anything new, but I just, if I look at my own, my own buying habits, whether it's, you know, I'm wearing a Viore t-shirt or whatever it might be is starting to get, adding a little bit more of that automation into buying habits. So it's like, take your running shoes, typically running shoes, you're not going to put on a subscription, but how can you simulate that type of subscription behavior or reach out? Um, so it's, it's, you know, capitalizing on your existing customers more, but with just the advancement we're seeing with AI and chat GBT, which can help with just basic day-to-day tasks, but just getting in more, more automation, recognizing ret- returning users longer than seven days. Uh, so you can, it's like, Hey Brad, those shoes, you know, we bought eight months ago. They're probably got a hole starting in them. You're, uh, you're going to, you're going to see some injuries or you know, whatever it might be, but just some right. of that, I think that bigger, that more personalized focus, uh, obviously a lot to do, a lot to do with that. That could be building the, you might not be able to rely solely on just data you collect as a, in a first party context, it might be just more personalization, more surveys, more profiles that someone can slowly build uh, on, on me. So take Viore is slowly building up my profile over time. But anyways, I'll, I'm sure I will, I'll talk more about that in a future episode, but that's kind of where I'm thinking more about how to solve some of those problems in, in uh, 2023. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of like the biggest pain point that we've seen and what's keeping marketers up at night and brand owners up at night is customer acquisition cost. Uh, and oftentimes like their mindset is, well, we've got to get repeat customers, right? And then mm-hmm. they start to like scale down their new customer acquisition because it's going up. And so we'll see brands like dabble in like loyalty programs with like yeah. point-based loyalty programs. To be honest, I haven't seen crazy results from those. And yeah. the majority of the time I've seen those fail pretty miserably. Um, and the ones that do succeed are the ones that are the brands that are investing a lot of marketing and a lot of time yeah. into them. Really yeah. like loyalty, I think Amazon and Costco kind of set the standard for membership loyalty. Um, and a, a brand that I follow, love their clothes cuts, which I think they're an LBAR customer too, but they just recently released a membership, a VIP membership. I think it's a really easy way to generate loyalty. It's kind of baked in right there. Um, it's a subscription. You can have clear membership rewards instead of this points program that most customers don't even understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> I really feel like that's the future of e-com. It's just a matter of time that, that brands that uh, really 
a membership fits are going to start like picking up and actually utilizing and seeing a lot of value from that as the loyalty play um, and not just uh, you know loyalty point programs and and all those different yeah. things. Hundred percent agree. It's the progressive profiling over over time. So it's like just hit me with one question every time you, every time I make a purchase. One more question. One more question. Uh, anyways, Anthony, this has been awesome. You shared a ton of amazing insights. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can connect with me at on LinkedIn, uh, Anthony Morgan, or via email, Anthony at enavi.co. Uh, would love to connect. We love to hop on calls and have little free strategy sessions for 30 minutes and try to understand what your biggest issues are for 2023 and and help you think more strategically about them and and get out of the weeds of tactics and just throwing paint on the wall and seeing what sticks, but actually have a clear focus in, in terms of what you're doing. Awesome. And Anthony has some guitars, some amazing guitars on his background, on his wall for sale since he, he's out of the game now. So if you, uh, if you're, inter- if you like guitars, hit them up. Not really. I don't know if they're for sale, but you got a pretty sweet collection back there. Yeah. I won't be selling those anytime soon. Even though I don't really play. Um, I do have clients that occasionally hop on a call and they're like, Oh, you play guitar. Can you, <laughs> can you strum a few chords for me? Yeah. And then I've got to throw off the rust and, and show them what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the only way to close the deal. You got to play, you know, re, re, play this one song. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, all, all, all of uh, Anthony's contact info will be in the show notes. Thanks for hopping on and we'll see you uh, on the next episode. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. Thanks again.